genre. Please, please, huh? a moment to reflect. Ah. Hello, and welcome to TMNT Minute Presents Back Issues, number two. I am your, uh, I guess, host, Adam Sheehan. I'm with uh, Scott Tofty. Hi, everybody. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Ralph Adonasia. Hey, how are we all doing? Uh, all right. <laughs> We're so, doing good. How are you, Ralph? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Adam, are you at the bottom of a well? I am at the bottom of a well. A well I just created with my own debt. Uh, I... <laughs> Rachel and I uh, just bought a house, and um, the it only sounds fantastic. Yeah, the only thing I have in this room right now is my microphone and my computer. So there's just nothing I could do about this echo. It's uh, I feel like I'm at the bottom of a toilet right now, <laughs> <laughs> an empty toilet. Well, you know what they say: toilets are just the the, the gateway to the sewer. Yes. Which is what we're all about here, I suppose. And speaking of the sewers, uh, today we're going to be talking about TMNT, Bebop, and Rocksteady Destroy Everything, the oh, IDW man. miniseries. Now, we, we had some nice feedback on the first episode of Back Issues, so I want to thank everyone who was listening and had kind things to say. Uh, it kind of motivated us to do another one. Um, and, and I'd like to apologize time, to all the people uh, who enjoyed that one because this one is going to just drive it right <laughs> into the ground. It's going <laughs> to yeah. be a little different. So last time we compared and contrasted some uh, some IDW and some Mirage, and this time we're just talking about this series. Uh, and Ralph, we thought this would be a great one to bring you in on because of your fervent fandom for all things Bebop and Rocksteady. Why don't oh you tell God, us about you that? Listen, they're like... I'm 34 years old, and at no point in my life has anyone ever said to me, Ralph, tell me something about Bebop and Rocksteady. <laughs> like, I've had to just, when I can, casually slip things into it, like conversation here and there, just be like, oh, yeah, I, I you know, I'm, it's not that big a deal. I f***ing love these characters. But I never get to talk about them because I'm a grown-ass man. <laughs> I think we might have to bleep that. We'll run that by the sensors. Oh, yeah. no. We'll Wait, try we... to keep it clean-ish. I, I got the potty mouth. That's okay. But yeah, what you finally have it. You have a pedestal to stand on where people want to hear what you have to say about Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah, that's a little embarrassing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when you were on Turtles Minute last season, you were telling us uh, about one of your buddies who made like a crazy... Bebop and Rocksteady cosplay, right? Oh yeah, my friend Sig from uh, he's, uh, he's been on Face Off a bunch of times. He and uh, his his girl Ranny, they went as uh, I think Bebop and Rock Sexy because because <laughs> <laughs> Ranny's very pretty and she was Rocksteady. Gotcha. Um, so what started your love of Bebop and Rocksteady? Like this obviously must go all the way back to the cartoon, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's. You know, I, I grew up on the uh, the old 80s cartoon when I was a kid. And uh, I just, I've always, I love any pair of dumb henchmen. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, they're just like the prototypical version of that. You know, like they're, they're the, 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 the bedrock upon which all, uh, all of their henchmen are built. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel when they were brought back in like, 
the 2012 series and all the other media that they've showed up in since. Man, there has not been a bad version of those characters. <laughs> really? Not one? Yeah, I stand by that strongly. Why? Who don't right. you like? Uh, we had some thoughts about the uh, Michael Bay movie. Yeah, that movie's not good, but <laughs> I'll say two things about it. I mean, it is not good, but it is fun. It and is, yeah. Gary Anthony Williams and Seamus are the like joy and soul of that entire movie <laughs> as those characters. I, I just can't argue that. I just can't get past or get over Seamus's wrestling character. And uh, just being a wrestling <laughs> fan, I'm like, this this guy again. What are they going to give him the title eight or nine more times? <laughs> but uh, he but, gets to be Bebop now. No, he's Rocksteady, but. Um, the rocks. Oh right! Why was why wasn't he Bebop? He has the Mohawk already. Yeah, but Bebop's traditionally a black guy, except for in the one transforming Bebop action figure, where for some reason he's white and has an orange Mohawk. Weird. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's always been portrayed as a as a man of color. Um, but yeah, no, I so but yeah. like they are. The worst part of that movie, uh, Out of the Shadows, is like there's a 10-minute stretch that doesn't have Bebop and Rocksteady in it, and the movie starts to feel really long. <laughs> sure does, But then Skip. they show up on motorcycles, so. <laughs> well, I think we should, uh, let's, let's dive into our comic book story here. Bebop and Rocksteady destroy everything, which, uh, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Oh, God, it's, it's hard to really, like, um do an elevator pitch of this series. Like, I, I feel like I need to roll in a chalkboard to, de okay. to describe what happens. Because so, every time time travel story needs a chalkboard, this one actually, I think, has one. This one, it, it very much does in a Doc Brown kind of way, because to start with, it's a massive time travel story. Yeah, it's a it's an infinite time travel loop where they keep crossing dimensions and running into different versions of Bebop and Rocksteady. And at some points, there's more than one of each and it just gets <laughs> it gets really convoluted but it's like this is what would happen if bebop and rocksteady could travel through time they would just rip yeah. everything apart what if the dumbest people in the world got their hands on the delorean yeah we'll see i think you guys are overcomplicating it because at its core it's almost a rom-com it is a little bit it like, is it's, yeah it's, it's it's such a buddy movie it's it's just like these people who you know love each other very much and have this relationship that doesn't work the way it used to. And they kind of find that spark again. <laughs> it, I, had, I found myself thinking that when I was reading it again, I was like, wow, this, this is really just a story about friendship. Yeah. Um, and it, the device they use, which I really like, is this character of Renette or Renee. I'm not entirely sure the correct, correct pronunciation. I of believe it, it's Renee. The, See, the I, I'm pretty sure it's Renette. Really? I think it's Renette. I think it was quoted on one of the TV shows as Yeah, they, they say her name in the 2012 series, and I think it's Renette. Yeah. Um, I'm willing to be wrong about this one. If you I'd know the answer at it. home, scream into the void. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scream it at your windshield. Those but this, this character of Renette goes all the way back to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number, I think, seven with Cerebic the, Cerebus the Aardvark, which we talked about last time a little bit, Adam. I do love Cerebus. I, I don't think um, I ever read the Mirage series one. I can never get a hold of that issue without, you know. I'll let you borrow it. But yeah, Supporting uh, my local comic shop. That's one that Renette, I've also never read. Oh, I'll let you borrow it. Uh, Renette is this time mistress, and she's kind of like this ditzy valley girl type, right? 
um, but has this ultimate power to foresee all the different timelines and things like that. So this this issue of the Mirage book starts off, and there's this bad guy they're facing, Savante Romero, and then that book ends. And then there's an issue of Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Mirage, uh, which is actually the last issue of that that particular run of comics, I believe, where they revisit Savante Romero in the Cretaceous period. Um, That's right. Which is a direct predecessor to this book. And then from there, it leads into the Turtles in Time uh, IDW graphic novels. And then this is sort of this Bebop and Rocksteady book is kind of the last section of that really long multiple comic book company spanning arc. It just and, uh, an, oh go go ahead I'm sorry. Oh I was just gonna say I I actually got to guest host on a, a week long series about the Turtles and Time series on podcasters. So go check that out if you want to hear more about. Oh gladly. Yes. Yeah, so what's, this uh, is what's. This is kind of apropos of nothing, but just in my own head canon is that Renette in any series, I think she's the only character who's the same character from version to version. Because she like, can travel between them. Yeah, I think that's actually hinted at in some version of her at some point. I don't remember if it's in the IDW comics or what, but I want to say that it was implied once that Renette in any version is always the same Renette. Oh, I think she says that in this one. She says something along the lines of um, there could be a, a, any infinite version of anybody else, but us Time Masters, there's only ever one version. That's right. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a really handy kind of thing to have. Like, you, you look at all the other media out there, Marvel, and, you know, there's all these, you know, alternate universes, Earth 1, Earth 2, all this junk, and now we kind of have that in Ninja Turtles, which I really like, to know that... The Mirage continuity is actually part of, in some way, the IDW continuity is kind of, for, for you know, old school fanboy, a lot of fun for me. That is fun. Um, and I also like that Renette is also written the same way. Like, even, you know, the Turtles in different versions of the media, they get sort of their different, unique, independent quirks, but Renette is always written the exact same way. That's right, yeah. I'm sorry, you guys. My voice is real raspy today. It's very attractive. <laughs> you know what it is? I went um, to uh, I went to a show last night. Um, went to go see the World Inferno Friendship Society in Brooklyn. They were playing on like mm. a Sunday night, and that's a band that I've been going to see for a long time. And there's a lot of uh, shouting back and singing along, and my vocal cords are just shredded. So we picked a really great night to do this. Perfect. Yeah, we've got we've got quite a collection. I'm at the bottom of a pit. <laughs> Scott's the only one who sounds normal. Scott I mean, sounds normal. normal. Scott sounds. <laughs> I sound great having just gotten over the flu. Um, so <laughs> what let's a talk about the artwork. We are. The uh, <laughs> the artwork in this is awesome. There's a lot of different artists that contribute to this, and. As I was reading through it, it seems like the artwork changes like every six pages. It's there's so much cool, um, stylistic stuff happening in this. We get Bebop with like Afro at some point. We get you know really heavily detailed artwork. We get more simplistic, cartoony looking artwork. Some scratchier stuff. There's a wide palette of artwork in here, and then it sort of works its way into the plot later on as the sort of different. Uh, artwork versions of our characters 
crisscross and intermingle with each other. Right. It, it almost sneaks up on you a little bit because I feel like it doesn't change so much in the first couple of issues, but as it goes, it, it picks up right. frequency. Well, yeah, because they keep fracturing time and they keep creating these different versions. I, IDW does this a lot where they'll have like a four or five issue story arc and have different illustrators do each one. This is a little different because it it's like mid-issue, you have a completely different crew. Yeah. And, yes. um Yeah, they did that on Ghostbusters Shattered Dimensions, too. Or is it Shattered Dimensions? What was the name of that one? I, I mean, that, that title sounds like it would make sense to do it. Yeah, it's like they, it was every version of the Ghostbusters. There was even the one from the Game Boy game shows up at one point. Like <laughs> they get crazy with that. Oh, what All was right. So, do you want to do you want to walk everybody through kind of like roughly the the story of of what this oh, comic is? Go for it, Ralph. Oh, jeez, I wasn't. <laughs> you were volunteering. I was planning on smartassing about while you guys did that, but <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we can try. You want to go for it? You can no, go no, no. I, I I feel confident. All right, so. This comic follows Bebop and Rocksteady. Um, oh, golly. Are they in South America when it starts? They're in Brazil. I believe so. Uh, maybe Brazil. Yeah, because they're, 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 they'd just been brought onto a crew with somebody else, but they messed up a, a, some kind of deal, which wound up with everybody getting shot. And they were trying to convince somebody to take on the, the name of reggaeton for their music name-themed ba- uh, gang. Right. Wow, you guys, that's about Hello. as much as I remember. Okay, so yeah, they they're <laughs> they're uh they've been kicked out of this gang and uh they're trying to figure out what to do with themselves and they come across, you know, a time scepter. That's right. Oh and, no, it uh, opens with Renette comes to the turtles because there's what's clearly Bebop and Rocksteady's skeletons on display in the Museum of Natural History. Oh yes. That's sort of the uh the the uh inciting incident so yes they see bebop and rocksteady's uh bones at the museum and the turtles like what's this all about i mean oh and there's some kind of like mummified lady with them yes a sorceress an (laughs) ancient sorceress with a blue glowing gem in her chest i like how how they they find that those skeletons in the museum and they're like this can only be bebop and rocksteady from eight million years ago (laughs) <laughs> okay, There's... but seriously, it could only be Bebop and Rocksteady <laughs> from 8 million years ago. Like, yeah, the like, life that like, they've led why... to this point, especially the IDW turtles who have the bonkersest of origins. <laughs> right. Very true. <laughs> They're like, we were reincarnated into turtles, but we used to be samurai kids. Yeah, they just kind of yes and their way into this whole adventure. <laughs> um, So... We we find out that Bebop and Rocksteady are are you know this this gang has been disbanded. They're like, oh, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And they come across, I believe, the turtles in present day have a little bit of a fight. Uh, something wonky happens with the time scepter, and Bebop and Rocksteady get sucked into a time hole. And uh, they find out that they're like back in the year two thousand, and they actually go meet up with their human selves, right? Right, and this sort of starts the adventure off, and that gets us into issue two. As and this is, uh, oh, go go ahead. I was gonna say, as as the turtles are trying to figure out how to go back and fix timelines, Bebop and Rocksteady are literally chilling on a rooftop, having a conversation with their human selves about how cool it's going to be to be mutants. And yeah. uh, 
then they eventually team up with themselves. <laughs> and the the best one of the things that's so lovely about this is that Bebop and Rocksteady in this series have endless confidence in their own abilities. <laughs> yeah. It never occurs to them that like they when they see that this is happening they're like, "Oh yeah, we can fix our life. Like we can get young us on the right path right away." And they think they understand what's going on. They think their advice is good and no part of any of that is correct. <laughs> you know, like, Very true. They're so sure that they have this time travel thing figured out, but the second they're confronted with anybody that they know from the future, their ability to keep track of what's going on is completely shot. <laughs> well, and then there's this growing friction between them too. Like Bebop, like mutant Bebop and human Bebop end up sort of alienating themselves away from mutant Rocksteady and human Rocksteady. Like they sort of splinter and. I guess that's uh, more of a commentary on their selfishness. Like, they're only drawn to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is kind of a great thing. I also love well, the that. Like, they're, we get- they're like, they're such outcasts, the pair of them. And, like, all they have to cling to, all they have had to cling through to in their adult lives, it seems, is each other. And whatever gang <laughs> will accept them for as long as people can tolerate right. them. So <laughs> these these two, you know, these, these, these people who have nothing and nobody, when they are confronted with somebody else who is them, it's like the ultimate prize for them. You know, like, of course they're going to cling to that. And the one thing that they're really good at is pissing off everyone around them. <laughs> Very true. Um. I want to point out real quick a couple things that we learn in this book. Uh, we learn that Bebop and Rocksteady are in some sort of rock or punk band. Uh, we actually get song lyrics oh, God. and kind of a musical performance. They jam with their human selves at some point in this book, which is kind of great. And I'm waiting for somebody to actually write this song, and I feel like it might have to be me. <laughs> you know that that band is like a bad combination of metal and punk. Yeah. Yeah. I- that does sound like a lot of fun to be able to just jam out with yourself like that. Like, <laughs> I, I you think we might want to watch suck. the phrasing of that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's like it's like you know what you're thinking. You know what what's coming next. It, it would be it would be really tight. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, I'm not so, mature enough for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, as the story continues, we we learned that there's you know there was a bee up and rock study back in the Cretaceous at some point, helping out Savante Romero. We see what that looks like. They uh, intrude upon an Utram sort of civilization, which we see previously in the Turtles in Time uh, book, and there's some direct connectivity between that one and this one. Yeah. Uh, Turtles go fight Savante Romero and Bebop and Rocksteady and Renette pops in again and she causes some mischief and uh, all of, everybody gets sucked down time tubes. Now we have the Turtles, Renette, the Turtles' little dinosaur friends, uh, Bebop and Rocksteady, Savante Romero, they're all getting sucked down various time tubes oh, and getting spit and we, out at different locales. We didn't mention that they're driving around in the old foot cruiser vehicle from the 1980s toy line. 
Yes. Oh, they absolutely are. And and they keep crashing it, which is like the best thing because they keep arguing <laughs> about like, well, who who crashed it the last time and the, the other one should drive and then they just immediately crash it. At one point, they actually crash it into itself. Like they crash it into another version of themselves. Right. And like another one comes out of a different time tube. They take that and drive off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like a background gag while the real plot is going on in the foreground. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also learn in this book that Rocksteady is former military, which I thought was super interesting. They took the idea that he was wearing camo pants in the eighties and actually fleshed it out into, uh, a pretty convincing backstory. Yeah. I, I, I like that because Rocksteady of the two of them always had a little bit more of like a single solid concept. You're like military rhinoceros. Sure. We get that. <laughs> Bebop was all over the map especially if you look at like the the original action figure and like the original comic book version of him he's got like a mohawk with a ponytail and like devo glasses but he's in like a letterman jacket and (laughs) chuck taylor's and has a knee brace he's like he's wearing skulls he's wearing chains yeah he's like punk new wave greaser he's just got a lot going on i think we call that a punker Oh. <laughs> yeah, he, I, I always I, I like that oh. he has the knee brace. I actually have this action figure in my hands right now. Um, it was one of the it was in the box with my computer. I was like, oh hey, I'm going to be talking about this. But I love that he's got the knee brace. It's, it kind of gives him a Stone Cold kind of quality, you know. Stone Cold always had the one knee brace, but he's still a total badass. Well, yeah, that's a comparison I don't think I've ever put together before is Bebop and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, it works. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I can I like see it. Steve Austin being the voice of Bebop. <laughs> that, would, that would be incredible. Um, uh, as the plot progresses, Bebop and Rocksteady decide that uh, the only gang that they should join is the Foot. So they go to the Foot headquarters in the year 2000 and try to join up with the Foot as humans well as humans and as mutants the pair of them only to find out that there's like no foot clan in new york yet right this is what i'm talking about like they 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 are so (laughs) sure they've got a handle on this time travel thing until it comes to actually doing anything about it yeah it's it's just failure after failure i feel like this whole series came down to like just a bunch of writers sitting around a table going okay who's the last people you would ever want traveling through time (laughs) <laughs> it was like Bebop and Rocksteady. Might, I think that's a foregone conclusion, yeah. My favorite thing about this series, though, is that it's not just Bebop and Rocksteady. Like, there is a proper Ninja Turtles story in this. You know, like, the Turtles are involved. They're a part of it. And it has a narrative, like... They're, 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 the two narratives running concurrently to each other are, like, the sort of bromance... Uh, friendship story that's going on with bebop and rocksteady as they're messing up the time the fact that they're messing up the time stream is incidental to what's going on with them (laughs) right right uh but then also there's like a proper ninja turtle story going on as well where they have to track down these villains and stop this thing from happening and you know like it all works really well i don't know if you read the the follow-up series to the bebop and rocksteady hit the road not yet it's nowhere near as good um, and yeah, I, I have the, it 
I've had it sitting on the end of my table to read for weeks, and I just I keep getting like halfway through the first issue, and I just kind of lose interest. Yeah, because I'm, I'm like, there's no way it's going to be as insane as Bebop and Roxy to destroy everything. It's like you almost can't answer this story. It's too yeah, good. but that's it's the it's not just that like it can't be as insane. It also isn't as grounded because the turtles are not a part of it at all. Oh. So this is just a story about Bebop and Rocksteady assing around. I think they get a spaceship and they have a pet velociraptor, but like <laughs> nothing that happens is of any consequence or matters very much. They're like, you know, they don't really do anything. I think they king they kill Wingnut and Screw Loose. Spoiler. Whoa. <laughs> no one's gonna read this book. Uh, but, <laughs> but destroy everything is great. I, yeah, I also there's this. Go ahead, Adam. I also like how Donnie keeps showing up as like the fourth wall breaking narrator in all this. I think we're like, on the same page. I was it's just like, about to say that. We have to find a way to explain what the hell is happening to the reader. Like every time travel story has this. Like they even have him pointing at a chalkboard. And then at the very bottom right corner of the chalkboard, someone wrote, Donatello is a dweeb. That was clearly <laughs> Michelangelo. I would have said Raph. <laughs> Everybody um, always plays up the Raph and Leo uh, rivalry, but I think the dynamic that has been explored, uh, like that, that hasn't been explored enough and should have been explored more, is Raph and Donnie. And like, I'd them like buddies, to see because more of that. Their approaches to everything are so opposite. They are probably the most different of all the turtles. Yeah, like Leo and Raph butt heads a lot because they're very similar right but ref and donnie are like the the opposites within that group and like you know if there's if there's a locked door you know that they have the two most different solutions for getting through it right raps is definitely punch it down yeah um, why, why were we talking about this I don't know, but it's all fine. I'm totally fine with whatever this conversation turns out to be. Uh, it was, it was Donatello was a dweeb. Uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so as we keep moving through the book, the uh, Bebop and Rocksteady end up, their next move is like, oh, well, we can't get into the Foot Clan, so we're going to go to Stockgen Labs. They call so it they the Mutagen Store. They call it the <laughs> Mutagen Store. We're going to go get some Mutagen from the Mutagen Store because they're convinced that they're going to mutate their human selves. You, you guys are going to love this. It's so great. We're going to oh, mutate Oh, also in you. this, Rocksteady thinks he's a dinosaur. <laughs> That's really well, worth I, I pointing out. I missed that. He thinks he's a rhinosaurus. Was I reading this incorrectly? <laughs> or in the first issue when they're in, um, where are they? They're in Rio de Janeiro. Rocksteady says a couple of times that they're in Africa. Yeah, he doesn't know where they are. They're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, but they end up at the stock gen where the turtles are being kept and all those other crazy mutants that, you know, you find out about in the first handful of issues of the IDW books, right? This is they're literally at the turtles origin story, like that that moment in time. Right. And they step when, on Splinter or something. And yeah, they yeah, stepped on Splinter. They, so in the original sort of timeline, it's the stock gen labs while April was working there gets raided by foot ninjas because they're uh they're after uh the the turtles and you know the mutagen and all that stuff general krang is having baxter work on um and you know the turtles are lost splinter gets out in this version it's 
April is hiding behind a desk because these two giant mutant creatures are trashing the place. And uh, Splinter, at some point in all of this chaos, just gets stepped on and killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they, baby they out the fugitoid real early and Slash gets slashes in there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I meant to reread. I read the last time I read this was a couple of months ago, and I meant to reread it again right before we had this conversation, but I did not because when you're a grown up, eh, look, you can't always. Well, the great part is Bebop thinks that Slash is just a transformed version of Michelangelo. <laughs> well, no, he calls him. What does he call him? He call, it, later on he calls him something like Michelangelo or something. Uh, yeah, Angelo. Angelo. He just calls him by the last name. <laughs> <laughs> that does happen hey, you so know, there's the, this the rhinosaurus thing might not have been in this book that might have just been in the idw comics i still love it i wasn't aware of it and i think it's fantastic yeah, he thinks he's a dinosaur <laughs> so in in this battle in Stockgen, where there's all kinds of crazy mutants and stuff happening bebop and rock city just start throwing people into time portals yeah. randomly just randomly throwing people <laughs> into time holes not knowing where they're going and at one point bebop has a chainsaw on a chain that he's swinging around over his head where have i seen that before that i think is in uh, mutants in manhattan the the pretty bad ninja oh, turtles man. video game from like the playstation 3 ah. oh all right. See, there's all kinds of good little Easter eggs, like the time scepter that Renette is using. It's actually drawn to look like the scepter from Turtles Three, which I really like too. Yeah, yeah. I and you and were saying like, this last time, Adam, about how IDW is super deep on the Easter eggs in the Ghostbusters series. Yeah, they have their. I, I think it's just because the people they have writing these stories grew up with them. Dude, that Ghostbusters series is so much better than a comic based on those movies had. Like it. I would never have expected it to be as good as it is. Oh, and uh, it was called Crossing Over, uh, the series, the Ghostbusters series, where they combine all of the different versions. But yeah, they, they they created a canon universe for Ghostbusters, and it's perfect. It's it's so lovely. Um, we're getting into sort of the the middle end of this book. We're in part four, I guess. We're talking about now. And uh, this is where the big schism happens, where the Bebops and the Rocksteadies split up and go to their own separate universes. <laughs> yeah, that's separate right. Time periods. Bebop and Bebop and Rocksteady and Rocksteady. Yes, <laughs> which yeah. is great. Rocksteady winds up in World War One. Yeah. yeah, he's on the beach in France, and he's just like traipsing around with, with human Rocksteady, and they have no idea where they are. He's like, this looks like a war zone, and it's Verdun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, sadly, the the young human versions of both of them are just killed. Like, yes, th through the negligence <laughs> of their older mutant counterparts. <laughs> right. It's like it's like oh, we'll take our old selves under our wings because we know what's best for us, and then they get the themselves killed. Yeah, That's and amazing. these guys who are you know in in their in their current form, they're largely impervious to injury you know like in the very beginning of the book we see them walking away from that gang fight on that boat like all riddled with bullet holes and full of knives and just like right. waiting to heal up you know like they've forgotten that people can just be killed <laughs> right. so bebop is in some sort of like future utram city 
well, the Bebops. And the the death of human Bebop is great. They're, like, driving the car, and uh, they get rear-ended as they pass through, like, a time portal. By They get rear-ended by themselves. Like, they, one, the front end of the car goes through the portal, and the same portal opens up behind the car and rear-ends itself. So it's the same car hitting itself. Yeah. And, you know, Mutant Bebop just starts talking to him, and he turns around, and he sees dead human Bebop on the ground. He's like, oh. You're dead. And he's like, yeah, I didn't like you much anyway. <laughs> it's, wouldn't that make him stop existing? Like, at that point, it's like, oh, I guess none of this really does matter. They're just this is so where you could really use a Donatello. <laughs> amazingly unself-aware. Um, but this is the moment where he's like, I got to go find Rocksteady now. This is So they start coming back together. They've, they've split. They've had a moment where they uh, fight, and then they both start realizing how much they need each other. Um, however, not before they come into contact with a Bebop Rocksteady hybrid single creature monster. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they, they, they went through a time together. portal. They hit a whole bunch of the ooze, and then they mutated together. Yes. So, like, they wanted to be together. Now they're together. Forever. Yeah. And the the next chunk of the book is... Bebop and Rocksteady looking for each other, and this is where the artwork starts like going super fast. Oh, because man. this is it's it, it almost gets Mad Magazine for a while in here. It kind of does. They're in stock they're heavy metal. Then yeah. they're in Florence, Italy, in like the the Renaissance, and Slash is there, and then they're in Kennedy Space Center in Florida in 1969, and like Rocksteady's like hanging onto the side of the Apollo 11. And then they're then they're in a weird future where they're worshipped as gods. Yes, <laughs> and they like this is the best they're ever gonna have it. And they just think all these guys are idiots and nerds for worshiping them, and are trying to get out of there. And they're even like they're like we creeps worship the. It's like they call themselves creeps because that's what Bebop and Rocksteady called them. <laughs> it's awesome. And- yeah, they uh, end up in the year 1 million BC. They take the Apollo 11 through a time tunnel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> back in 2012 again. And then we see, there's a shot where we see all the different crisscrossing time tubes. Uh, and the turtles have gone outside of regular time to try to fix this. They're in the 79th dimension, which exists outside of regular time. And they're working right. which, to try to fix it was, this. It feels very reminiscent of, if you guys are familiar with the Terry Pratchett's Discworld books at all? No, not so uh, much. There are these monks who are, uh, they're, they're, the Discworld books are like um, comedic, fa- satirical fantasy novels. They have oh, a really yeah. lovely sense of humor. Um but there are these monks whose job it is to make sure that history happens the way it's supposed to. Ah. And the 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 like headquarters in the the 79th dimension feels very much like the sci-fi version of that same monastery. Like there's just all this stuff of like having to collapse timelines into each other and and reroute things to make sure that history goes the way it should. Yeah, What's the name of that really... series again? Uh the Disc books World? are called uh, the disc world, yeah, yeah, I've heard oh, of that. Yeah. I just never, I never got around to it. All yeah, right. if you're going to read them, by Ralph, if you're going to read them, don't start with the first book. It's legitimately terrible. Oh, weird. <laughs> um, I'm flipping through the, uh, the Bebop and Rocksteady on Comicsology here, and one of the alternate artwork prints that I have in here 
is by uh, Ben Bates, and it's the turtles illustrated as if they were uh, the action figure turtles. Like the weapons are all brown, and they have like the same kind right. of belt. Oh man, I just noticed that. Yeah, just a fun just, little bonus. Great. I just wanted to call back to one of these each each of these different um, time periods is almost like its own page, but there's this yeah, one where quick. Bebop shows up. In this city of this like ramshackle city of bebops and rocksteadies, and one of them's right. like another one, the, the bopsteady verse, <laughs> the bopsteady verse. <laughs> that seems like the saddest place in the universe. And I do love how kind of Deadpool the narration gets here. All the little uh, text bubbles that tell you where we are. Like it's a stock gen labs, 2012 again. And then the next box is like sort of, and then eventually later it's like, does it even matter anymore? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like just I I like that even the the phantom sort of narrator gives up in this one. It's got a very um, it's almost like a tank girl quality to to how the writing is. It's very bit. fast and loose. Yeah, it does it does feel somewhere between Deadpool and Tank Girl. You've nailed it with that. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I love up, Tank Girl, man. I haven't read a Tank Girl in a long time. Tank Girl's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's and it just keeps getting better. Like some of the some of the stuff they do is just amazing. And sometimes he'll actually they'll they'll put soundtracks, like he'll put recommended listening. It's it's nuts. It's just pure oh, insanity, wow. the writing. Um, All right. I just accidentally creeped myself out just now. Um, do tell. I I have one of those Amazon uh echoes in, in the room that I'm in, and I forgot to mute it before I started. And something that I said <laughs> must have set it off. Sorry, I'm not sure about that. That's her. She needed to be involved. <laughs> but uh, whatever I said just now about, like, Tank Girl's pretty good, she just from behind me went, thanks. <laughs> and at yeah. first I was like, oh, that's funny. She thought I was talking about her. But I'm sitting in a dark room by myself and the thing's behind me, and now I'm just like, hmm. Like this anymore. Uh, it listens to, to everything. everything. So as we approach sort of the last book in the series, the, the turtles are trying to bring all of the uh, different timelines into one central location. Uh, I mean, the details of the plot are inconsequential. Bebop and Rocksteady find each other. They fight the turtles. Uh, a massive battle ensues. We're we're zipping and zopping inside of timelines, and it ends with Bebop and Rocksteady getting thrown back in time and meeting Savante Romero back at the beginning of the story in the Cretaceous period. Uh, well, I guess at the same time, being locked away in the present or being beat up in no, the present. No, because there was wasn't there a pair of them in the Cretaceous already that die, and that's. No, no, no. Well, we the, see them. The pair of them that were in the Cretaceous period at the time, they brought them back to the present. And the ones that I, I, th I guess started right. all this, they just killed in the Cretaceous period, right? I'm super, super confused on on who was left behind and who ended up being the actual Bebop and Rocksteady. And then the lady mummy turns out to be Renette, but old. Right. Right. Which is... You know, less of an exciting reveal, but still nice to know. No, I thought that was kind of a fun ending. Like, seeing a, a competent older, like, a more competent older version of her, I thought was cool. Yeah. A less flighty version. Yeah. 
And Renette has this like big clock over her head as part of her costume. Subtle. And every single panel that she's in, it's a completely different time. Like it, there's oh, no continuity to that. what time it is. That's kind of fantastic. Yeah. I just read the uh the tales of the Ninja Turtles from the Mirage line back in the 80s. And Renette, her 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 headpiece is always clocks of some sort. But in this one, she's like, I just got this fancy new digital scepter. So like all the clocks in her outfit are all digital clocks because it's 1987. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was entertaining. It's a Casio. <laughs> uh, um, I just I gotta I gotta give a little shout out to somebody here really quickly if you guys don't mind. Go I, for uh, it. Sure. Just just before recording this, I was checking my mail and I got a pair of pins that I ordered from a company called I want to say Nightcake Press. Okay. Uh, well, they did these really. It was a, a real cute, uh, cartoon stylized pair of Bebop and Rocksteady pins for my Foot Clan vest. Oh well, that's totally appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but they <laughs> sent me, uh, like for no reason that I can discern a free baxter stockman as a fly pin as well <laughs> nice so excellent i thought it would be uh it would be nice to say how nice that Have was we that they seen did that baxter the fly in the idw books no he had a bunch of fly drones that were like mutated flies or something that he controls yeah the mm. flyborgs flyborgs that's it i don't it's, think I it's got a struggle for me to keep up with the idw comics because it's, they are it's a, a lot of bummer <laughs> I am like 40 issues behind right now. I just keep falling further and further behind. I, I keep getting up to the Triceratons showing up and like, I just am not invested in Bishop or anything to do with him and he won't go away. It does get away from that right after. Like I, I keep, I just been, I've been buying him and stockpiling him. I, I usually read just kind of, I binge read comics, but, um, same. Yeah. But it, I've been at least looking at the covers. It looks like it starts to get away from that. And I'm like intrigued to see where they're getting where they are. But at the same time, Urban Legends is out right now, and it's way better than the main IDW series. So oh, what is it? I'm going to have to ask you about this when we're not. I don't want to bore everybody with us just filling each other in on what comics <laughs> we should catch up with. But I, I'm going to ask you about that when we're done with this. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's worth noting that when Bebop and Rocksteady meet Savante Romero in Rio de Janeiro or Brazil or wherever they are at the end of the book again, they just beat him to a bloody pulp. Yeah. <laughs> and steal his time scepter. <laughs> like all these kind of like things that you'd, wouldn't it be funny if they just kind of do them in this book? And that's kind of the great part about it. Yeah, it is. It's like there's just time. no care given to uh, creating, you know, Anything other than just complete chaos, which is which is so welcome in the IDW books, because as I said, they tend to be very dour. Yeah, like yeah. there's 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 always it, been a, a a real youthful energy and fun to the turtles, like in their various incarnations, and that is really missing a lot of the time in these books. It almost feels like this this storyline was them kind of blowing off steam. Like, okay, we don't yeah. have to worry about continuity or. Or there constantly being conflict, we can just do whatever the hell we want. Yeah. So the the book ends in a really cool way. It's you know we get the hero shot of Bebop and Rocksteady driving off into the sunset in their uh, the foot cruiser, singing their punk rock song to each other, and then we get sort of like a 
an epilogue, you know, where we figure out what happened to everyone. Like, Savante Romero uh, manages to get himself into another dimension where it's assumed he's plotting. There's a mutant April O'Neil who starts solving crimes with Fugitoid in the 60s. <laughs> oh, that looked so cool, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't I actually it. want more of it, but I like having the feeling of kind of wanting more of it. Does that make any sense? Sure. It makes sense. <laughs> like, and I would we, never actually read more than, like, a single issue about that. But it's a nice enough setup that, like, like no, that's cool. I'm glad that, that somewhere out there that is a thing. It would be fun to see an Easter egg of in the future at some point. Yeah. Like a callback. Um, and, I mean, that brings us to the end of the book. The One of the things that I really enjoy about this, too, on the Comixology app where I got this is all the alternate covers. One of them, Kevin Eastman draws a Bebop and Rocksteady, which I've never seen before. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Who drew the – there are those drawings floating around of the, like, original – action figure designs for Bebop and Rocksteady that one of the two of them drew. Was it Peter Laird or Kevin Eastman? I would guess it was probably Peter Laird. I feel like he did a lot of those. Yeah. But I don't have any uh, definitive answer on that. The main cover art of this is amazing. It's uh, it's done by Nick Pitara. Am I saying that right? Looks like it, yeah. Uh, that big wraparound. Yeah, it's it's great because this is like a secular, cyclical uh, time travel story arc, and the covers wrap around each other. So like the the last part of issue five lines up with the first part of issue one cover wise. Yeah. So it's a big loop. Um, and the color work in that too uh, by Michael Garland is awesome. It's all this kind of cotton candy, really fun pastelly color work. Yeah, it's beautiful color. Which I I like a lot, too. Um, so overall impressions, Ralph? Um, it is a really fun book. It's very, it's very dumb. <laughs> and it's... Uh, there are times when, like, the, the sort of casual violence that these characters inflict is almost a little tonally jarring with the... the zaniness of everything else that's going on. Yeah, well, like I they mean, drop we also a... don't see that typically from Ninja Turtles. Like we don't often get a lot of bloodshed in turtle books. And it's yeah, they drop a, a dumpster on like a group of people in the first issue. Yeah. <laughs> there's almost like South Park style violence throughout this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, where it's like it's it's casual but it's brutal and uh it it, it does sometimes feel a bit at odds with the tone of the rest of the book, but I, I mean, like I'm also heavily biased in favor of it because it's a bebop and rocksteady <laughs> multi-part right. comic, but I liked it. I've read it more than once and I'll read it again. Yeah. Adam, what about you? Final thoughts? I feel the same way. It's, it's one of those books that I can always come back to and it's just, it, it's like watching a good movie. It has a good arc. It has a good beginning, middle and end. It doesn't just drag on and on like, like some comic book story arcs tend to do, but it, it has all of these great elements to it. Like it has the, the turtle story arc, which is a B plot, which I think is fantastic for a turtle story. Um, it has this bromance between Bebop and Rocksteady. It, and I love time travel stories because of how chaotic they get. And you can get to this like impossible level of chaos with these two. 
And then they're just like, well, screw, screw it. We're just going to destroy it all. We're just going to rip it all apart. And who better Hence to do the it than these? the story, right? Yeah. And who better to do it than these two strong idiots? Yeah, yeah. A pair of strong idiots is uh, an indestructible idiot is a great character to put in peril, <laughs> right? <laughs> and especially like give the keys to the space time continuum, like. What's the worst thing you could do? What's the worst thing this character could have? It's like showing a a chimpanzee how to operate a chainsaw. It's like this can only go wrong. (laughs) Like, can we can we write a comic where Bebop and Rocksteady kill several million universes worth of people, but at the end you still like them? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, you're still kind of cheering for them. Yeah. Well, the nice part is it kind of ties up into a neat little bubble. Like, this still works within the continuity of the IDW book. It doesn't really contradict anything that comes before or after it. Yeah. Um, And yet, it's such a departure of a story. Like, the turtles are, you know, they're a little goofier in this one, too. But at the same time, like, it just, it, it, it works as a, a unit in the whole IDW universe. And it also works as a complete, like, offshoot. Which I like. Yeah, it, it almost feels like a '70s comic, kind of like a, a Howard the Duck yeah. or a heavy metal sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, very much so. Um, and there's enough tie-ins to like the old school turtle comics and and different iterations of the turtles. Enough little Easter eggs in there to to keep people interested. Um, overall, highly recommend. I think it was a lot of fun. I wasn't really expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Because I'm I'm not as huge of a Bebop and Rocksteady fan, uh, but I think I might be now. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if, right. if one thing I've learned trying to have conversations with other adults is that uh, very few people are as big a Bebop and Rocksteady fan as I am. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the one thing I've always loved about Bebop and Rocksteady is they have that Beavis and Butthead kind of... Uh, relationship where at any given time one is just a little bit smarter than the other but is still a complete idiot yeah i I love that it's like well i'm smarter than you so we're gonna do it my way it's like okay well you guys are both dumb so so which version of bebop and rocksteady is the best because i would i would dare i say this might be my favorite iteration i think this trumps the comic book series and it's definitely better than the the two uh, uh the michael bay movie version See, I I almost feel like the the ones from Out of the Shadows are like the definitive versions of those characters. Really, really, wow! I really enjoyed them in that movie, and I I know this like I I can hear my credibility <laughs> slipping away every time I say that. But yes, all those people fantastic. who have such strong opinions about Bebop and Rocksteady are judging you silently. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't really have anything to lose here. But, like, I love the versions in the 2012 cartoon. They're so different from what we've seen from those characters before, where they're, like, Steranko and Zek. They're, you know, like, the Russian arms dealer and the Michael Jackson high-tech yeah. thief. Yeah. yeah. But those that two work really well as well. They do, but it's those are very clearly different characters. Like, this is yes. definitely meant to be the Bebop and the Rocksteady that you remember from the 80s. But it's, it's right. also, in a way, all of the versions of Bebop and Rocksteady in this version of Bebop and Rocksteady. Like, everybody gets a little bit of all of it. You see, that's, this is the thing, I think, that is so different about these characters in this book from all of the other characters in the IDW books. Is that all the IDW characters have like a new twist or like a specific new idea behind them 
where they draw on something that was a small part of their character in some other version and really blow it up in this version. Right. Whereas these are meant, these feel like just sort of an evergreen Bebop and Rockstar. <laughs> yeah. It's almost you know, as if somebody looked at it and just went, look, guys, don't think too hard. Let's just do it. Yeah, it's just don't yeah. think at all. It's Bebop and Rocksteady. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I think that that wraps it up kind of nicely. What do you guys think? Yeah, all right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, got, I, could probably... I got one last thing I'd like to say. Go for it, Ralph. <laughs> I'd love to see John DiMaggio voice one of those two. Oh, yeah. I'm leaning towards Rocksteady, but I'd also take Bebop. But if they were going to like if they're going to show up in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something or even some other series down the line, I'd love to hear John DiMaggio voice a potential Netflix movie. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty good. I think he would be great for either of them. I would even I would even buy him as the human version of Bebop or Rocksteady in a live action version, and then just have him do the voice. Like yeah. I would believe Honestly, that he would I'd, turn into Rocksteady. I'd prefer I'd prefer it if he were Rocksteady, just because I don't think it's great to have like you know representation in television is important, and if you're going to have one of the few African American characters in the Ninja Turtles universe, it'd be better not to have him be voiced by a white guy. Like right, right. No, I'm on board with that. And, and yeah, so they did Rocksteady that with then. Baxter Stockman too, and I, I've always, I've always hated that. Yeah, I mean, I understand the thinking behind it because they didn't want to have the only black guy on the show be a villain. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the the only black guy on the show was a villain. What the the voice of the Shredder was Uncle Phil. That's true. And Bebop in the one episode where we see him as a human is also a black guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, listen. Yeah, this so you were trying to wrap up the episode. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot of things were said. A lot of thoughts were had. Ralph, where can people catch you? Uh, you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at CakeBossRalph. And also, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but March 10th, we've got a new show coming out on Food Network that's going to be released, I think, Ooh. everywhere in the world at the wow. same time. But this one, get excited because it's just me and Buddy versus what? Duff. Yeah, versus Duff from Ace of Cakes and his guy Jeff. And we go head to head in a bunch of competitions. We know oh, who wow. we'll be rooting for. I will yeah, definitely I check that Jeff out. Yeah, I think Jeff is great. <laughs> I, I mean, we were going to root for you, but. Oh, thanks. That's really <laughs> cool, guys. Thanks. <laughs> wow. All right. And you guys can always catch us at TMNT Minute on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you go over to duelinggenre.com and get all the great podcasts over there, including our regular Turtle Minutes, which will be back before too terribly long. And I think Ralph is going to come on again at some point and help us talk about Turtles 2, the secret of the ooze, a little bit down the line here. So we definitely have not heard the last of Mr. Ralph Atanasia. Ralph, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, we will see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bossa Nova. Chevy Nova. Nova.